church, open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter number four. The book of Acts, chapter number four. This is um, a passage of scripture that could be preached on and preached on and preached on and preached on. And so that's what I'm going to do today is try to condense this passage of scripture into the subject of the marks of a spirit-filled church, or let's, I, I prefer this title today, What Makes a Church Great? Now, we've heard that term all through this political campaign, let's make America great again. My heart is, let's make the church great again. Because the church is not very fondly thought of in most circles today. Did you know that? We just don't think very highly of the church. We try to say it in ways that's not so offensive, and we try to do those kinds of things, but the church is just not very well thought of today. Now, just so we know that we don't get lost and we don't get hung up, you remember there was four real important things that we learn in the early book of Acts that we have to keep in our mind, and that is that the Holy Spirit is a person, right? He is a person. He's not mythological. He's not mystical. He is a person. But not only that, the Holy Spirit is present. Present. Now, he not only is a person, he's present. But then we also know the Holy Spirit is powerful. He's powerful. And then we also have already learned just in these four statements, the fourth one is the Holy Spirit's mission is to glorify Jesus Christ. And so we need to keep those four things in our mind as we study the whole book of Acts because that's how the church was founded. Now, we want you to be saved and we want to preach uh, on salvation. In fact, I don't think you can preach in the Bible without preaching salvation somewhere. It's just all over. The blood runs through every chapter of the Bible. And so I, I, I just, you know, some have a no hope salvation. You know, some have a hope so salvation and some have a let's go salvation. I'm in that let's go bunch. What about you? That means a no so salvation. And I'm ready to go when Jesus comes. Are you? I'm excited about that. And so the church not having a good name and, and speaking well about it. I just happened to see this and, and I cut it out the other day because uh, these are some famous men described that didn't particularly like each other. And here's what it said. I have never killed a man, but I have read many obituaries with great pleasure. Clarence Dara said that. Another said, I didn't attend the funeral, but I sent a nice letter saying I approved it. Mark Twain. I feel so miserable without you, it's almost like having you here, Stephen Bishop. He has all the virtues I dislike and none of the vices I admire, Winston Churchill. He might send, he, he, he has never been known to send a reader to the dictionary. <laughs> That's bad, isn't it? That's bad. And, and, and so down the line, and Oscar Wilde, he says this, he's, he's a self-made man who worships his creator who he thinks is himself. And then this was the last one. Oscar Wilde said this, some cause happiness wherever they go, others whenever they go. I'd like the church to be the kind of place that's so great again that we don't just cause happiness where we are, but we cause happiness where we go. Wouldn't that be great? That the church could be smiled on in favor once again. 
that the world could look at the church and say, we may not like them, we may not like what they do, we may not like what they say, but there is something about them that is different. They have the power of God on them. They have influence. They have impact. They have, uh, they, uh, folks, listen, we've lost our impact in America, and that's what's wrong with us. It's the church. It's not the government. We lost our, input, our impact a long time ago, and as a result of that, every liberal has come out of the cracks with new junk to throw on us, and our young people are growing up without a sense of morality, without a sense of values, without a sense of ph- philosophy of what is right or wrong. They, they, have, they have nothing about eternity. They're taught none of that stuff, and so that's why they're so confused in their minds. So today, let's look at just three simple things how that we can make the church great again. One of them is that we must be prayerful. You say, well, everybody knows that. Well, we might know it, but we're not doing it. I want you to look at verse 23 down through verse 30. What is he talking about? He's talking here about prayer. They'd been out preaching, and and they had been told to shut up. So when you're told to shut up preaching, uh, they went back to the church, their people, and they, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. You see, the first thing they did, now this is the first problem in the church. The first problem the church had, and the first thing they did was what? Pray. They didn't say, well, we better get a committee to study this. No, no. Uh, No, they didn't do that at all. We better consult with somebody. No, the first thing they did was pray. And that's what happens here, prayerful church. You see, persecution had arisen by the religious world to silence these men of God. The evidence of strength is seen in the attitude of our opposition when they are threatened. Would you write that down? I'm going to make a few quotes like that today in the message, and I may not even stop, but I'd like for you to pick up on them. Write that down. The evidence of our strength is seen in the attitude of the opposition when their, when their strength is challenged. Amen. See, they don't worry about you if their strength is not challenged. But when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is great again, we'll get outside opposition rather than inside messes. Not with me? And so they, they threaten them in verse 21 not to preach in Jesus' name. But I want you to notice in verse number 20, it didn't matter whether they threatened them or not. In verse number 20, they'd already made up their mind what they were going to do. Uh, they may tell us not to preach. They may take us down here and cut off our head, but we must do the things we have seen and heard. And so they didn't have a choice to make. Somebody says, it's just so hard to do right. It's not hard to do right if you've already made the choice to do right. Help me. Listen, folks, you don't have to make a choice if you've already made the choice. And so when you face that situation, you know exactly what to do because you've already made your choice. So they say, we don't want you to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, we ought to do what God says, not what you say. See, they already made that choice. You say, well, if they got killed, it didn't matter. They already made the choice. So if you'll make your choices now, young people, listen to me. Make your choices now, right now that you believe that Bible. And when it's challenged, you won't have to worry about it because you've already chosen to believe the Bible over any other book in this world. And in you that work at the factories and all around you are all kind of cussing and all kind of filth and all kind of porno and all kind of, all kind of mess going on around you and they're trying to draw you in and suck you in to their filthy crowd. What do you do? Hey, you've already made your choice. You don't do it. You did that before you ever went to work there. Made the choice. That's what's wrong with a lot of Christians is they wait until the moment of temptation 
to try to decide what to do. Make your choice now to do what the Bible says, and you'll not have to fret over the choice then. Am I making any sense? So they threatened them, and they said, this is no hard decision for us. We're going to preach. So, so what do you do and where do you go when you're about to do or when you're about what you're going to do is going to cause trouble to the church? Now, here's what most of us do today. I've even been told this many times myself. Brother Glenn, you need to back off this a little bit. You know, some folks get offended by that. Some folks take offense to that. Yeah, they should because they're guilty. They should. Folks, listen, when the church is going to face trouble, the church ought to be behind those doing the preaching and behind those doing the witnessing and behind those being persecuted rather than hurting those that are doing those things. And so when they go back to the church, the church had already made their decision. We don't have to have a vote here today to see where we continue preaching the Word of God. We don't have to have a vote to see if we're going to be a soul-winning church. We don't have to have a vote to see if we're going to have an invitation. No, no, no. We made our decision a long time ago. And that's, that's what he's saying right there. It was a prayerful church. That's the first thing they did. They went to prayer because now they have faced their first problem. It comes from the religious crowd, and that's usually where our problems come from today. It'd probably be a lot nicer if they came from the outside to the inside rather than coming to us from the inside. But, they, but the devil's learned he can do a whole lot more damage among damaged Christians than he can by trying to get lost folks to damage Christians. And so we go to prayer. So that's what they did. They go to prayer. Everything they did was born and bathed and blessed in prayer. You know what? They understood prayer has unlimited possibilities. Do you know that? Prayer has unlimited possibilities. Prayer can do what you can't even imagine it can do. And so they go to prayer. You also, when you're facing that first trouble, when you go to prayer, where do you go to pray? You go to be with your own kind. Look what it did. Being let go, they went to their own company. They went to their own congregation. They went to their own group that met together, their own group of believers. When you need, when you're going to have maybe be facing your head chopped off or crucified just like your master was the next day, but you're told you've got to preach the gospel, you've chose to do it, the church has chose to do it, everybody that's saved has chose to do it. Listen, you've got to pray that God is going to give you power. Where do you need to go to be with those people who's made that same choice. So that's where he went. So those compassionate and encouraging people in the church encouraged them on this mission. When people are on the firing line for God, they can't stand to stay away from their church. They can't stand it. You've got to get away from that crowd out there that's giving you such a hard time. You've got to get away from that crowd that, 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 that opposes everything you do in the name of Jesus. You've got to get away from that guy and that gal who's tempting you. And you've got to get away and get with your crowd. That's why it's so important to be here in Sunday school. That's why it's so important to be here for morning worship. That's why it's so important to be back on Sunday night. That's why it's so important to have your kids in a wine on Wednesday night and your youth in, on Wednesday night and your adults here on Wednesday night. So we can go to our own kind. Some of you come in your work clothes. That's wonderful. That's, I don't care. If you've been in Greece all day, just sit over here by yourself. It's okay. Put, put, a, seat, put a towel on you so I don't get on the pews, all right? Miss Carolyn, get me for that. But the, the truth of the matter is, when, when you know you're going to be facing trouble, you want to get with your own kind. If you have somebody dying, who do you want praying for you? Your own kind. Your own kind. 
I, I don't want the Pope praying for me when I'm dying. Because you don't pray people into heaven. You believe people into heaven. People believe to go to heaven. People will repent and believe to go to heaven. We can't, we can't do anything about that decision for them. They have to make that decision. We can't pray them into heaven, and there's no intermediate place to stop on the way there to try to change your choice. So they go to prayer, and so where do you go? You go to your kind. Secondly, what do you do? Well, Verse 24 said they didn't do anything except one thing, and that was pray. They just quickly got to it. They didn't mess around. They, they didn't talk about grandma's corns on her toes. They didn't talk about their sixth cousin that they hadn't spoken to in 12 years. That they found out that she'd gotten a splinter too deep in her finger, and they had to go in and do this little minor surgery. They didn't talk about that. They talked about the fact that tomorrow we're going to be doing what God told us to do, which was to preach the gospel in the whole world, and we need God's power. That's what they prayed for. That's what they prayed for. You see, birds of a feather do flock together. Somebody help me a little bit. You see, our troubles and our trials and our tragedies bring us together. If you had a perfect life, you wouldn't be here this morning. You wouldn't need us. We wouldn't need each other, would we? Why would we need anybody if we had it all together? We don't. But we don't have it all together, so we need each other. And so when you're facing a tragedy, when you're facing a trial, when you're facing a temptation, when you're facing something that's stronger than you are, you need to be with your kind on a regular basis. And that's what happens here. Uh, and so they start to pray. In verse 24, when the church heard their experience and they began to pray, we need to be there around those people because, you see, they're facing hostility, and so they need to be around people of love and kindness, people who care about what's going to happen to them. And so they're trying to lift up their preachers and their witnesses not shoot down their witnesses. And they're, they're praying for the right things, for the things that God said pray for. Hebrews 13, 3 says that we, when somebody in our church, when somebody in our body uh, at Hillcrest, when they hurt or when they suffer, we're to suffer with them as, we, as if we were in their own body. We're to try to put ourselves in the position to know what to do if we were in their own body. In that great verse, Hebrews 13, 3, if you want to know where it's at, it's a great verse. So what they did was pray. Now, what kind of prayer do you pray? Well, first of all, they prayed this prayer. They prayed a prayer of holy reverence to the Father. It was a prayer of adoration in verse number 24. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. Now, God knew he was God. They, they didn't have to inform him he's God. But God likes for us to know he's God. And he wants us to brag and to, and to be excited and to magnify the fact that he's God. And so he said, Lord, thou art God. Now, he uses this word, Lord. That, that word, Lord, is a word that comes from a translated word called absolute. Absolute. So when you use the word Lord, he, he uses that term absolute. That means that absolute, he is absolutely the only one in his category. There's nobody else in that category. It's just God. And so he, they pray to the Lord. Now, if you want to go out here and pray to Buddha, go ahead, but that prayer is worthless. If you want to pray to Mary, go ahead, but that prayer is worthless. Totally worthless. 
If you want to go pray to anything, if you want to bow down before any kind of idol, uh, I, I don't care what it is. I don't care where it is. It is worthless. The only prayer that God hears is the prayer that is in the sweet, wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's his prayer. That's what they do. And look here. This holy reverence to the Father they pray about, not only about adoration, but they revered him in creation. There was that holy reverence to the Father here. Now we see that holy uh, uh, revering of him in his creation. Uh, They talk about that he's made everything. Look, heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. He made them all. So he's the creator. Y'all believe that? I'll tell you, I bet your children's not taught that school. So where, they, where should they be taught it? At home and then at church second. Mom and dad ought to teach them. Y'all ought to sit down with an open Bible and show them that that bunch of dingbats that wrote that book that you can take the Bible and make them look as dumb as they are dumb already. Because the Bible, that, that their book changes about every 20 years. They have to rewrite it again. Ours never changes, thank God. Our God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> He's our creator. Yeah, I would clap too. But you see, that's, you, you see what people... They, we, we don't understand the roots of our problems. That's why the ACLU and, and, and organizations like them don't want prayer in school because the ACLU don't have anybody to pray to. <laughs> they, don't want, they don't want prayer in school because they're sitting there with nobody to pray to. They can't teach their kids about anybody to pray to. If their children runs into trouble, they can't teach them to call on God because they don't believe in God. Y'all with me? And so they don't want prayer in your school because they don't want their life embarrassed by the fact that you have something that brings you comfort and brings you power and brings you strength and brings you people that will gather around you and they don't have any of that. See, we believe that there's a creator and that he still holds the whole world in his hand. (laughs) I want to tell you something. Whatever problem you get into, whatever problem you get into, God says, hey, I got this. I got this. I got this. There's not any problem that God can't say, I got this. Y'all believe that? So, 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 don't miss God's blessings by praying because look at the other thing, the inspiration here in verse 25 through 26. They revered him in creation and now they're revering him in inspiration. The word of God was the basis for their prayer. They prayed according to the Bible. Look at verse 25 and 26. Who by the mouth of thy servant David, again, again, I call your attention to verbal inspiration of the Scripture. Where does the Scripture come from? From the mouth of David. God put the Word in the mouth of David. That's verbal inspiration. The liberal world will tell you that the scholars got together, put together a group of teachings by Jesus and some of the Old Testament people and put them together. But over the years, they have lost their trustworthiness because through interpretation and translation and opinions and all that kind of stuff that it has been reduced to nothing but a mythological book. I'm here to tell you that this Bible is forever settled in heaven. And his truth endureth to all generations. So it's a book that they prayed by. And if you're not getting your prayers answered, you might all check if your prayers are matching the book. Well, hearing me? You see, a lot of times God is doing a whole lot more under the surface than you can see on top of the surface. 
You say, well, I don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what God's doing. You don't have to know. But God is doing something. He's either chastening or correcting or comforting or he is leading into some capacity. He's placing you where he wants you to be. But God is doing something in your life. So just remember when things get too big for you, God says, I got this. I got this. We all put that on the sign out front. God said, I got this. I got this. So there's inspiration there. You see, God's blessings in prayer is because we pray in ways that are not contrary to the word of God. So God's blessings we miss if we don't pray according to the word of God. Are y'all getting that? You see, all his promises are true in the word of God. You don't pray stuff that's not in the Bible and expect God to answer it or something that the Bible condemns or something that the Bible doesn't condone. And, and, and you wonder, well, I've been asking God to do this and asking God to do this, asking God to do this. I know what I'd do. If I lived in Florida, I'd be asking God not to give me O.J. Simpson for a neighbor. <laughs> Amen? But the truth of the matter is, sometimes we're praying for things. Uh, I mean, man, when I was in evangelism, I didn't even know it. And I was gone all the time on the road, you know, one time, 21 straight days. And, and uh, right down the road, I mean, a quarter of a mile down a dirt road was two, not only of the, they were huge. They were, I mean, they were giants of men. And they were the biggest drug dealers in the whole country. And not, they, they had killed about several people. They never could get any goods on them. And a, a, a guy that I knew in school, they rolled him up in a rug like this right here, set the house afire and burned him to death. And he lived a quarter, they lived a quarter of a mile from my house. We say, well, what did you do? I prayed, but if I'd have known who they were, I'd moved. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I wouldn't have done that. If I'd have known who they were, I would have tried to catch them and talk to them. I, I, you know, I, you, most of those kind of people will receive the gospel better than these fancy hot dogs, you know? Yeah, they will. But look here, look at this holy request for the Spirit, the supplication, verse 29 through 30. So now they get around to petitioning God for two things, two things. Look what they ask God to do. First of all, they ask God to give them boldness to speak. Secondly, secondly, they ask God to give them power to heal. You hearing me? You say, you believe God heals today? Yes, I do. I believe I've experienced it. I believe I've seen many of you experience it. I believe you've watched your kids experience it as they grow up. I think we've watched healing all the time. Our God is Jehovah Rapha. He is a God who healeth thee. But here's what I don't believe in. I believe deeply in healing. I have no belief in healers. I have great, great faith in healing. But there's only one who's the healer. And you know where we get that healing? Prayer. Prayer. He hadn't given us the authority that he gave the apostles. We can't go lay our hands on somebody and they'd be healed. And I don't want nobody to come in my hospital room and doing that. But I do want them to come in my hospital room and pray it. Are y'all okay? Y'all okay? Okay. Am I okay? <laughs> you see, they wanted their preachers to have boldness because they knew they were going to be in the face of obstacles. You see, they were facing the, Sadduce the Sanhedrin, 
which was made up of a group of not only Sadducees, but Pharisees and lawyers and legals of 70 different ones. And so they were figuring out a way to try to get their mouths shut. They're the ones who had Jesus murdered. No telling what they might do now to these simple fishermen who had come down to preach the gospel. They could have stoned them. Uh, they, they could have hung them. They, uh, whatever they wanted, they would have gotten because they didn't want any uproar there. Um, Pilate of Herod didn't want any uproar there in Jerusalem. So the world who killed Jesus, they were going out to face the next day. Yeah, that getting through? So they're praying that God would give them power to be bold even though they know their congregation wants to kill them. And then they're praying that God would give them the power to heal so they could shut their opposition's mouth. They wanted their preacher to have boldness. We want ours to have weakness. We do. We do. We don't want none of that old screaming hard preaching in our church. We won't bring that mess in our church. We won't. We want a scholarly person who will come in in about 15 minutes and, and give us a nice stuff where we go out feeling really good about ourselves. That's not what they prayed for. They didn't say, would you give them tomorrow words that are scholarly and words that will impress their opposition so that they won't hurt them. That's not what they prayed. They prayed for boldness. Now, boldness does not mean maliciousness. It does not mean arrogancy. Boldness means that you are not afraid to take a stand for Jesus Christ. That's boldness. Now, Spurgeon asked the secret of his power and here's how humble Spurgeon was. He said, the secret of my power is my people pray for me. And if you'll read in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul also knew that not only he, but Brother Rob, the rest of us preachers coming along was not going to be able to handle the job we had unless we were backed up by the prayers of the people. In verse Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18, 20. So, I want you to notice verse 30. Verse 30, a healing is what started their trouble in the first place. <laughs> now, get this. They heal a guy at the gate, beautiful, right? That's what started their problems. They're all upset now because here's a guy for 40 years from his mother's womb couldn't walk. All of a sudden, they say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And that dude jumped up and down and ran around and round, and everybody could see something had happened to him. And even they got together and said, I don't know what's going on here, but that dude right there just got healed and he did it. What are we going to do about it? They should have been rejoicing. But instead, they were worried about their power. Y'all with me? So, we don't want to cool it off today. We want to heat it up. I think, I think aren't y'all tired of cooling it off? It didn't cool off in the last few years. It cooled off 40 years ago. Our preaching started going down. We run them through liberal seminary machines and they come out believing nothing, teaching nothing, getting paid a lot for doing it. And finally we woke up and come to grips with that. I won't buy a liberal book if I know it's a book. That's why I sit over here. I know it's your left, but it's my right, so I'm going to sit on the right. Amen. I put the liberals over there. <laughs> I'm kidding, Travis. 
<laughs> I don't want to be, I want to be on the right. But look at the second thing that makes a great, if we want to have a great church, we've got to be a church of prayer. Who'd you, who'd you pray for this week? What'd you pray about this week? Who'd you pray for and what'd you pray about this week? And it'll probably tell you where your walk with God was this week if you'll answer that question honestly. Look at, look at the second thing that makes us great is we're powerful in verse 31. They prayed, and then the Bible says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Amen. <laughs> I wish God shake this place. But I, I, I'm not talking about where he'd break the rock, break the, 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 break the concrete and, and, and throw the chairs down, all that stuff. But I just wish God would shake us up in our hearts so that, look what the Bible said, they were so shook as they were assembled together. Now, don't expect God to do much in your life if you just come to church every now and then. They were so used to getting together, and all of a sudden now, after they prayed and prayed and prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. And so now, it's not just 12 apostles out there doing it, it's the whole crowd out there doing it. And it shook. I've been in those places where God has shaken people. I've literally seen people shake under the power of God. Because they couldn't wait to get out to do what God had stirred their hearts to do. So we ought to have power. It, it, first of all, that, that powerful prayer was soon. Look, when they had prayed. Just as soon as they prayed, there it was. It was specific. God answered it specifically. Thirdly, he answered it was shaken. That was a sign that he was approving their prayer. It was evidence of their power as well. Fourthly, they were spirit-filled. That's why I say that this already, Peter's been filled three times. So that's not the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is when you get saved. He comes to live in you and you are in him. But you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't know if y'all are getting this, but... You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that means that you want all of him and you're willing to give him all of you. That's what it is. So that's why you need to be filled. You say, well, what will it do for me? Well, number one, it will give you boldness. You remember what, what, what were they praying for? All right, it will give you boldness over the power of sin. Let me show that to you because some of you don't believe me. Look at 1 John. First John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, you ought to have this memorized in your mind. I do. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. That means he's going to do it to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some, uh, wait a minute, from all unrighteousness. And you say, what does that mean? That means if you look over in chapter 3, verse number 21, of 1 John, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. In other words, when we've prayed and confessed our sin and we're clean in our heart and we go to God in prayer and there is nothing that pricks us, nothing that sticks us, nothing that bothers us, there is absolute confidence before God. We have nothing hidden before him. We, we're do, we, we, we have no disobedience before him. And so as a result of that, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Now, if you feel guilty, get down and get your sin ready and confess it. Because if you don't, your prayer won't work. Look in verse 22. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 
When you confess your sins and get right with God, what happens is, and if you're saturated with the, will of, with, the, with the Word of God, you will know the will of God. You will know how to pray, what to pray for, and who to pray for. It'll just be there. God will give it to you. So it gives you power over sin. I don't know about you, but when I go to witness somebody, I want to have some confidence that I have power, and if we're living in sin, we can't have any. I used to, I, I, I grew up in, you know, where we raised some tobacco, and, but not, not nearly as much as they do up in this area, even though up, especially up in Kentucky. When I was up there the other night, it was, I was reminded of that. But nearly everybody in our community smoked. I didn't know, man, it didn't smoke, I don't think. That was just something they did. Everybody smoked. So I thought it was okay to smoke, so I'd crawl up under the car and smoke. <laughs> now that tells you right there I'm lying because I didn't believe it was all right. I wouldn't have crawled up on the car. And... You know, I'd started 12 years old, I guess, or before, and we'd smoking. We'd smoke grapevine. We'd smoke corn silk. We'd smoke anything we'd smoke. So when I started pastoring, I started preaching. This is honest to truth, honest truth. I ain't preaching now. I'm telling the truth. Now, listen. I would walk into church. I, I, I would do, I'd do revivals all the time. And I'd do revivals, especially in, in the county then. It, it wasn't all selfish and jealous, you know. It was just, uh, it, 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 they just wanted you to come preach. If you could, if you could preach and, and, and you're the young preacher or an old preacher, it didn't matter. They'd have you for a revival. They didn't worry about their people leaving because their people was loyal to their church. And so I preached, I don't know how many revivals all over the country. And so I went in one Sunday morning, pulled up to church, and looked up, and there was a pastor, had a cigarette in one hand, shaking everybody's hands. Well-known pastor in our association. I thought, you know, I guess he's the only one who does that. Then I found out our own pastor had a room downstairs in the basement to where before church he had a place to smoke. And then I found out that Several other pastors in our little small association, they smoked too. And they would stand at the door and shake your hand with a cigarette, welcoming you to the holy house of God. So one night I went to this beautiful church, beautiful little church, sitting out with a spring running by it, hills on each side. It was, it was gorgeous. It was, it was all green. It was in the summer uh, or early spring or late spring. And uh, we, I was going to go preach there. And the first night I walked in, I'd never seen this before now. I, I, I'd seen the men all standing out on the front porch smoking. But when I walked out there, out in the yard was the men standing smoking, probably 25, 30, 35 men smoking, just talking, didn't think a thing about it. Hey, preacher, how you doing, man? It's good to have That's good preaching last night, man. We love that. And then I got a little further and started up on the steps, and the whole front porch was full of women smoking. And I said, God, if you just give me a little inkling of grace, I'll go just a little far tonight. And son, I burnt them alive. <laughs> they, thought they, they thought they had a camel in both hands. And at the end of the service, I was so excited. People was weeping. We had some saved. I mean, the place was just the tears everywhere, folks getting right with God. I said, God, oh, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And I walked out that night, the women still smoking on that porch. <laughs> and the men still smoking at each other. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is what God did to me. God called me to preach, and he made me sick. I, I was just sick, just so sick. And I said, God, if you will... If you will help me to quit smoking, I will. 
I will never touch one again. I'm done with it. How He was calling me to preach at that time. How in the world can I preach and tell these little children about Jesus with tobacco stains all over my hands? And so I put a pack in this pocket and carried it for two weeks. Because I'd get up in the middle of the night, midnight. If I didn't have one, go get one. And I carried it for two weeks, and every time I'd reach for one, I'd remember what God said, hey, you, you told me something. Now, I didn't hear his voice, but I knew. Can you, can't you feel God when he kind of slaps you? Yeah. You know, my wife got mad at me for, for slapping her face out there in that hall of the night trying to make, and here I am saving her life. She got mad about that and whole stroke and everything. What was you slapping my face for? I said, I was trying to keep you alive, woman. I didn't say woman. Only Jesus could get by with that. But folks, how can you sit down and tell somebody about Jesus when you don't have any confidence in your own purity in your life? Now, I got to quit. I know y'all ready to leave on me. But uh, that's the last thing. There's a partisan church, verses 32 through 37. They were together in their attitude in verse 32. Look, they were together in their attitude. They owned nothing. They only managed it for God. Did you know you own nothing? God just lets you manage it. That's all. Secondly, look at their actions in verse 33. They witnessed a praying church will always be a witnessing church. If you're really, really praying in God's will, he really, really will be sending you out to witness to people who's lost and touching your heart to stop. And witness to people who's lost are moving you in your home or in your plant or in your office or wherever it might be for lost people. Their actions, it was a partisan church. And then look at their assets in verse 34. Look at if I'm among them. It wasn't a social ministry to where when somebody knocked on the door in church said, Would you pay my light bill this month? You know why they need you to pay that light bill this month? Because they took what money they got out of the Social Security check, cashed their food stamps in, and went and bought drugs. And they want you to pay their electric bill. And when you don't do it, I've had them stand here several times. Brother Michael, he'll say amen to this, or he better. He'll say amen. And they'll say this, won't they, Brother Michael? I thought that's what the church was for. The church is for getting folks saved and then teaching them how to live for God. And so they had, they was partisan in their assets. But if people had something and the other person didn't have something they needed, those people would take what they had, sell it so that they could have what they needed. It wasn't that they just all cleaned house and throwed it all out there. No, it was a storehouse. And they dished out, you know what I'm dished out what people needed. The widows was one, we know they did, and others that they took care of. Well, I, I don't know, I'm grateful to God that I'm in a good church, but... We're not a great church. But we could be a great church. We could be a great church. If somebody would just be serious enough about this thing to start to pray. I said, Brother Glenn, I'm a little confused. I don't know how to pray against people who talk ugly about me. I don't know how to pray. I, I want to pray that God will kill them. I want to pray that they'll fall in a deep hole 150 feet. I, I, 
I want to pray that a tower will fall, you know, it's just something. How do you pray for people who don't like you? How do you pray for people who's praying against you? How, how do you pray for people like that? Let me, let, me, let me give you three things, and I've done this on Sunday night, but you've forgotten it, and I'll give it to you. And I've been using this. This has been my prayer in this last several weeks. Number one, you ask God to render your enemy powerless. When they gathered around Elisha and his servant went out and saw all those troops, Elisha wasn't worried. That guy said, what do you mean? He said, there's more of us than is them. He said, well, I don't see nothing down there but them. He said, go out there and look again. And God opened his eyes and he could see all those angels. And, of course, you know how it all ended. God won, right? So pray that God would render your enemy powerless against God's work. Okay. And number two, you are kind to them. That's hard to do. Now, I don't mean you have to be mushy kind. But you cannot stoop to the level of some people by pitching a fit, jumping up and down, screaming and cussing hollering, you show some, at least some grace to them. And thirdly, you pray that God would open their eyes that they might see. Because when they led that army down, they could have killed every one of them, had them right there, could have killed every one of them, but they didn't. They fed them a meal, sent them on their way, but their eyes were opened. And that's what I'm praying, that many Christians' eyes will be opened. And I wish people in Lebanon and people in Hillcrest, people in Wilson County, no matter where they are, would just say, you know, God, would you render our enemies powerless against us? You won't let them stop what God is doing. Or you won't let her or him or it or them. And then would you pray that when the time comes, if they had a need, you'd be willing to meet it. And thirdly, pray that God would open their eyes that they might see truth and not error. It's hard to pray like that. So we are learning pretty quickly that when the church started, the first thing they encountered was trouble, wasn't it? So why in the world do people say, I'm not going to that church, they got trouble. Why? Why are you going to say that? All Any real biblical church has got trouble. Not only that, they're going to continue to have trouble. Got news for you. These sweet little old teenagers we got over here, they ain't going to be sweet long. <laughs> you have trouble. But if we'd all get out and do it the way Jesus said do it, our trouble wouldn't come from the inside. Our trouble would come from the outside. 